Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, July 22nd, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I am a senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined on today's episode by senior writer and weekend editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. All right, Brad, let's jump right into the news here. Earlier this week, we were talking about the new Batgirl movie that is com- that is being developed specifically for HBO Max, and now that movie has found a star, Leslie Grace, who is one of the names that was mentioned as being in contention for this role, has uh, has earned the, the top spot here. She's going to be the new Batgirl, and if you don't immediately recognize Leslie Grace's name. That's probably because she's only been in literally one movie before, and that movie is In the Heights, which came out earlier this year. Uh, She played the character of Nina. And uh, Brad, I know you weren't on the episode that we talked about Batgirl, so what do you think about uh, Leslie Grace's casting here? Um, I personally don't have a lot invested in Batgirl. I I haven't uh, done a lot of digging into her comic mythology i know that she's a popular character she has a very big following um i guess i don't know part of me is still a little disappointed that this has turned into an hbo max movie as opposed to a full-fledged big screen title and so therefore i'm also 
kind of disappointed that they haven't gone for somebody who's like uh, a bigger name for this role. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's like, sure, every now and then it's good to like bring in somebody who uh, doesn't have a lot of big screen credits to their name and give them, you know, a big career boost, you know. Um, plenty of Marvel stars got their start um, because they were cast in, you know, Marvel movies. Chris Hemsworth wasn't a big name before he was in Thor. And uh, there are plenty of, you know, careers that started out, you know, because they got a big blockbuster role. But I don't know. I'm just, uh, I'm personally not necessarily excited for this. I do think that she was uh, good in In the Heights, but I also feel like a lot of what she did isn't too dissimilar from, uh, you know, Broadway work. Mm. So I'm, I, I definitely, you know, want to see, uh, you know, footage of this before I really, you know, cast my full judgment. But for now, I guess I'm a little bit skeptical because I haven't really seen what she can do outside of musical stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's tough to to sort of get a grasp on like what her, I guess, what her range is because the, like the Broadway stuff is so specific. You have to, I mean, she, I thought she was very good in, in, uh, in the Heights. I think that storyline that she's in with uh, Corey Hawkins character is like the one that I was the most uh, personally interested in, even though that sort of takes a backseat a little bit more to like the Anthony Ramos and and that um, storyline as the movie goes on. Um, but yeah, we were sort of talking, Chris and I were talking on, I think earlier this week about like, what do you think the take is going to be for this Batgirl movie? Like, um, do you think because it's, it's being made specifically for HBO Max that it's going to be a lower budgeted thing and and therefore not have like the same kind of scope that, you know, a, a $200 million uh, superhero movie is going to have. Do you think that like Robert Pattinson's Batman is going to be in the same universe as this Batgirl? Do you have like any sense, Brad, of, of what's going on here having covered, you know, the superhero beat stuff for so long? Yeah, that's a good question. It's, it's tough to say mostly because we haven't really seen like, I guess what HBO Max's level of streaming blockbusters is, you know, they've done some original movies so far, but they haven't really done anything that's been a major original movie production like this. You know, every, all the big movies we see on streaming have been Warner Brothers productions that were intended mm-hmm. for theaters. So uh, it's tough to gauge exactly where it'll be. I guess I'm hoping that it'll land somewhere along the lines of like Marvel's TV shows. If we're talking about production quality, because mm-hmm. even though uh, like, those those feel like they're on the scale of the Marvel movies, but they're obviously not as expensive, you know, because they, they, they're a little bit more limited in their, I guess, storytelling capacity. But the trick mm-hmm. is to make it not feel like that. So hopefully they have something that works on that level where it doesn't feel cheap like, you know, a, a Gotham or, you know, right. a, a, a show that's on the CW. And that's not to necessarily disparage what the shows in the, the CW do because they do what they do and they have big fans and they've done it well for a long time, but it's very clearly network TV, you know? So hopefully yeah. HBO max has a little bit higher production quality. Yeah. I think maybe um, James Gunn's pace, uh, I'm sorry, peacemaker show will <laughs> a pacemaker would be a totally different show. I, w- um, I would love to see that show. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So maybe that peacemaker show will sort of be uh, a template for the type of time, even though that's a series and this Batgirl thing is a movie. Um, maybe that will be, sort of indicative of, of the level of, uh, of streaming quality there since that show is being developed specifically for HBO Max as well. So yeah, we'll have to see, but um, congrats to Leslie Grace. I mean, this is very cool for her. And and um, I think the the rap noted that she's only the third uh, Latina uh, actress cast in a, a DC superhero project. So um, yeah, very cool. All right. So our next 
story here involves our old pal, Zack Snyder. His, uh, him and his wife work for, they have a, a production company called the Stone Quarry Productions, and they have signed a two-year first look deal with Netflix. Uh, they had a deal with Warner Brothers for a long time. Zack Snyder was like one of Warner Brothers guys, like one of his, one of the studio's go-to directors. He basically, I think, directed almost every movie of his entire career uh, for that studio. It was certainly his home studio if he may have, um, you know, veered off in, into another uh, co-production or something like later on, or, you know, at some point in his career. But Warner Brothers was his home for a long time. And and as we've seen and talked about over the past few years with the whole Justice League fiasco, uh, he and that studio ended up sort of clashing and butting heads a little bit. So now he is moving his production company deal over to Netflix. So two years, first look deal. He intends to make big projects, big movies. Uh, he, says, he says, my goal and hope are to bring as much quality content as I can and do it on a giant scale. Um, the future projects that he has lined up there are this movie called Rebel Moon, which was originally going to be a Star Wars movie that he, or, or a Star Wars pitch anyway, that he made to Lucasfilm that they ended up passing on, but he sort of kept in his back pocket and is now redeveloped into a, a sci-fi original project. And then he is also working on a sequel to uh, Army of the Dead, which is the zombie heist movie that he made earlier, earlier this year. So uh, more Zack Snyder stuff is going to be on the way. So I just wanted to keep people apprised of that because I know we have a lot of Zack Snyder fans listening to the podcast now. Um, let's transition into a different uh, project here. Um, a Transformers and G.I. Joe crossover has been something that's been kind of loosely talked about over the years, Brad. Why has that not happened yet? Uh, mostly due to studio trepidation, uh, according to producer Lorenzo Di Bonaventura. Uh, he's produced both of the Transformers and the G.I. Joe film fr franchises for better and worse. Um, and for a long time, fans have wanted to see a Transformers and G.I. Joe crossover because it has a long history uh, in comics. They have um, had plenty of adventures together, fighting both against each other and, and with each other. And it just kind of, it's a crossover that, that makes sense, you know. Um, and at the end of the day, it's been Paramount who has apparently uh, not been interested in making it. Um, but Lorenzo Di Bonaventura thinks that it's kind of inevitable that it will happen. Apparently one of the reasons that it hasn't happened is um, Alien versus Predator kind of ruined crossover potential for mm. a, um, a lot of people. It was one of those things where these two big franchises came together and it was just kind of crap. Um, so I think that the studio is probably hesitant about taking maybe two franchises that are valuable on their own and bringing them together and potentially tainting the brands of both of them. Although one could argue that they've done a good job of doing that themselves. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, since, you know, uh, the Transformers probably has a little bit of a better track record than GI Joe, but if the reviews for Snake Eyes are to be believed, they still haven't figured out how to make that, uh, real American hero work on the big screen yet. But, uh, I think this is something that could, that could still be cool. You know, I mean, the Transformers franchise kind of had their own version of a G.I. Joe squad anyway with those characters that were played by Josh Duhamel and Tyrese Gibson. So mm -hmm. I feel I feel like, you know, fitting them in there wouldn't be too hard. Um, interestingly enough, uh, in this uh, interview that was over at Uproxx, um, Lorenzo Di Bonaventura talked about how when they hired Stephen Capel Jr. to tackle Transformers Rise of the Beasts, one of the things that he asked was like, why haven't you guys done Transformers versus G.I. Joe yet? Um, and I guess that they basically said, well, tell you what, let's make a really good Transformers movie first. And then maybe that's something we can talk about. So if Transformers Rise, yeah, if Transformers Rise of the Beasts does really well, then maybe he'll get a chance to do a Transformers and G.I. Joe movie. 
So, um, Brad, I know that you're sort of like you're, you're a fan of both of these franchises to to a certain degree. I'm I'm wondering what that degree is. Like, have you invested in you know reading the, those comic books that you mentioned where there's those, those crossovers happen? Were they um, have, have there been like a animated series where those characters meet up? Have you seen any of that stuff? Uh, I don't even know that I would call myself a fan of both franchises. <laughs> don't get me oh, wrong. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, like I've seen all the movies. I, I think I I like tra- parts of Transformers, and I've tolerated the the most of the sequels. Uh, GI Joe is it is what it is. Um, I I haven't read any of the comics or any, anything like that. There are a lot of them, both classic and modern, and so there's there's a lot of potential there. For me, if it's, I think it's just the prospect of just seeing something cool like that happen. You know, these these crossovers don't happen very often. Um, it seems like they do because it's just so prominent with uh, Marvel and DC and whatnot. But like mm-hmm. the biggest, you know, crossovers that we've gotten in this capacity are things like Godzilla versus Kong, Freddy versus Jason, and Alien versus Predator. So it's not something that it happens very often. And so I just think the idea of taking two big franchises like Transformers and GI Joe, if GI Joe was a little bit better. Uh, it would be something that would just yield some interesting results. You know, it's like it's kind of like the fun of, you know, playing with your action figures. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned the reviews for Snake Eyes are starting to trickle in and they're not really that great. Um, Transformers Rise of the Beasts, it remains to be seen how that's going to do. But I would say that the Transformers franchise, the film franchise as a whole, has kind of been on a, a little bit of a downward trend over the past several years. I think Bumblebee was a, a nice exception to that. Yeah. Um, do you think that if... You know, uh, I think you mentioned that Debon Ventura told Stephen Cable Jr., okay, make a good Transformers movie first and then we'll see what happens. Do you think that if it could go in the other direction, if both of these franchises are in such a terrible place that maybe that they're, they will be um, left with, that Paramount will be left with no choice uh, but to cross these over in sort of like a, a last ditch desperation effort? That's a good question. I think, yeah, it could go either way. You know, that's that's one thing. We'll be like, all right, fine. We'll just throw everything at the wall and see, see what sticks since you guys don't care about the franchise anymore. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I, I, I wonder if, like, they'll even want to spend that kind of money to do that if, you know, the fans aren't turning out for Snake Eyes and Transformers Rise of the Beast. So, mm. I mean, G.I. Joe has always been, you know, much further behind the Transformers franchise and they've had far fewer movies as well. So I think it just... It probably just depends on on how things develop over the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so our next story involves uh, Pen15, which is one of my favorite shows on uh, Hulu. Brad, have you seen Pen15? We, have we talked about this? I have not gotten around to it yet. I've heard okay. it's I've heard it's right up my alley, though. Yeah, it's it's excellent. It's um. So the the premise of the show is uh, Maya Erskine and Anna Conkle, who are the uh, co-creators and writers and producers and also stars, they are like in their 30s and they play versions of themselves as 13-year-olds who are in middle school uh, set around the year 2000. And all of their classmates are played by kids who are actually, you know, like right around 13 years old in real life. Um, So that sounds like kind of a, a bit and a gimmick and it is, but they're so good at playing those uh, sort of heightened uh, teenage versions of themselves that you often forget that that uh, high concept is even at play. They're just like so good. And the show is so the writing on the show is so incredible um, that it, it sort of becomes this immersive thing where you just sort of forget. And it's, it's really great stuff. And I hope that if you have not seen pen 15, it's a, a Hulu original and it's really very much worth your time. So I just encourage everybody to, to check it out. But um, some interesting news came out today. The second season of the show uh, was split into two parts, and the I think the last part of 
or the last episode of part one uh, aired last September. And fans of the show have been waiting to see when, uh, you know, part season two, part two would come out. And the answer actually is at least one episode is coming out on August 27th. So like almost just a month away from now, but that episode is going to be an animated episode, which the show's never done before. Um, and as you probably have guessed this because of COVID, uh, the pandemic caused the creatives to basically rework one of the episodes into hand-drawn animation instead of um, shooting it for real. And there's all sorts of interesting stuff about, you know, what, what decisions they made and why and all that in the article at slashfilm.com. But I basically just wanted to use this as a, an opportunity to, um, to plug the show and, and like just hope that maybe people give it a chance if you haven't uh, checked it out yet. So um, it's really interesting. And I'm curious to see, you know, if the pandemic causes these guys to come up with any other creative workarounds for future episodes in this season, future seasons, maybe. I'm not sure what the, the full extent is here, but uh, Pen15... Season two, I guess, you know, I'm not sure when the the entirety of the back half of the season is going to debut, but just this one single episode is coming out on August 27th. So keep your eyes open for that. Uh, all right. So, Brad, our final story here involves uh, a new Marvel show, which is, you know, a little bit of a, a misdirect because it's it's kind of a new episode of a, a Marvel show that's been around for a, f- a few months now. It's called Assembled, and it's basically just a behind the scenes uh, that goes into how all of these Disney plus Marvel Studios shows were made. And now a, a new episode came out about the making of Loki and you compiled 15 things that we learned about that. So I just wanted you to tell people how that episode is and maybe run through a couple of the highlights that you learned. Yeah, I mean, first let me say, uh, much like Loki itself, this is actually the best edition of Assembled there is. There's a lot of really interesting details about the the making um, and it's it's structured in a way where it feels... Uh, less like a, an extended featurette and more kind of like a, a documentary, mostly because they use Tom Hiddleston to his to their full advantage. And like he narrates in parts as it's broken off into to sections. Um, and yeah. and so, yeah, so it, it actually feels a little bit more, I guess, cinematic than some of the other uh, the, the, the two other ones that we've had for WandaVision and the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, and so there's just a lot of cool things about this one because of how it taps into like uh, Loki's history as a character and like how, how long Tom Hiddleston has been around the MCU. And there was a lot of like, because the show gets weird and really like plucks from obscure things uh, from Marvel comics and whatnot, there was a lot of interesting things that like either didn't get used or stuff that they wanted to include here that they talked about. Um, one of the, the biggest things that we actually broke out into an article on its own because it was just so crazy is uh, there was once a montage in place for the first episode where after Loki was made aware of the time variance authority and everything, uh, but he just didn't buy into it and wanted out as soon as he could, that he actually uh, escaped and the TVA let him in like, basically like in this, you know, uh, separate timeline. And he was able to get everything he ever wanted. He collected all the infinity stones. He became King of Asgard. And he was also having tons of wild sex, (laughs) bisexual sex, alien sex. He was having it. That was, that was a big part of, uh, how he was enjoying his life. But then he has this thought where he thinks to himself, well, wait a minute, if the TVA is in control of anything, then none of this is really real because they're just letting this happen. And it's not, you know, something I'm achieving. And ultimately he comes back to the TVA with his hat in his hand and uh, starts to work with Mobius by answering, you know, his questions in the, the time theater interrogation. And then Mobius shows him 
you know, the essentially the the TVA and the show carries on from there. So that's Man. crazy. Like, do you think that um, that they? Did, I guess did did you see any footage from that? Like, did they get as far as to actually shoot that, or is that just an early draft of the script? Or that, so there's it's like this list of like a of a description of what happens that was on a. Uh, a whiteboard in the writer's room when they were like developing things. And like, it's, it's a, there's tons of scrawling over this whiteboard where they're planning. Uh, you can see like uh, a circle that feels like it was kind of inspired by the way Rick and Morty does their story planning, where it just goes around the entire, like the big plot points of the series um, and when they happen. And then this one was like just a smallest connected to what was happening uh, in the first episode. So they don't show anything. I imagine it probably got cut before it ever got to the filming process, especially yeah. because I'm sure the sex stuff that Marvel was like, eh, maybe not guys <laughs> because it's a Disney plus show. So, um, but yeah, that was interesting. And then there's like, there's a piece of concept art of the, uh, the line where the variant is supposed to stand in while they're waiting to be um, taken to time court and, mm-hmm. and rocket raccoon is seen standing in oh, wow. in line. So at one point, maybe they considered making him a, a variant of the sacred timeline. Um, there's a, a cool piece of concept art that shows Richard E. Grant in classic Loki costume. I guess he was like their first choice for that role. So they, um, they drew him in there and just hoped that they were going to get him. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, you know, there, there's a lot of more interesting stuff uh, from, from the documentary. And honestly, this one is just like, it's just worth watching, um, you know, seeing uh, the practical sets that they built for this one because they they built some big, impressive practical sets in addition to doing, obviously, a lot of, you know, green screen visual effects work. Um, oh, one other thing that was crazy. Uh, they showed footage of Tom Hilston's audition for Thor. Um, originally, he auditioned for the role of Thor. He ended up with the role of Loki. And for some reason, in his audition, which they show a brief clip of in this documentary, He's speaking with an American accent as Thor. No British accent or anything huh. anything like that. And it's very odd. <laughs> I wonder when that was. Like, it, they must have known. I, man, yeah, that's really interesting. Because, like, you would think that the, the Shakespearean component of that movie was, like, built into its, you know, built into it from the, the ground up. And, like, they probably had Anthony Hopkins on board or at least knew that they were going to try to go for somebody like that. Just the idea of... Uh, of Asgard having, you know, just like normal American accents just seems um, antithetical to to the the sweep and scope of that first movie. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if he, he was trying something or what it was, but it's it's very jarring to A, hear Tom Hiddleston without an accent and B, hearing Thor with an American accent. Um, that reminds me, Brad, I remember us talking on the podcast about this uh, probably a year or two ago now, and maybe you can refresh my memory if you know what I'm talking about, but I think... I think it was Yumi and Peter on an episode of this show. And we were talking about Marvel basically saying that they were going to let some of their clips out of the vault and like, um, you know, show people things like auditions and, and uh, deleted scenes and things like that, that had never been seen before. It was, I think this was in the wake of uh, infinity war and Endgame. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I, and I think that that might've been in reference to like a big, Marvel Cinematic Universe, um, box yeah, like yeah, like a collector set because okay. um, I don't because I, I don't think there was anything. Maybe it was like some kind of special or something like that. I, I remember us talking about it, but I don't remember ever actually following through on it and ever actually seeing any of that stuff. So I, I wondered if they might be planning some sort of Disney Disney Plus special where they just like show all of it in, in one fell swoop. But yeah, I guess a, a box set special feature thing would be incentive for people to buy 
you know, buy whatever box that it is. So that, I guess that makes sense. But. Yeah. I actually just found this, this is, yeah, this is actually a story that you wrote back in August of 2019 and Kevin Feige. Yeah. So he teased, if we do a big giant infinity saga box set, we might include, um, you know, they basically just said stuff that they've been like too embarrassed to show or stuff that has never been released as, uh, supplemental features on any of the, uh, the DVD releases of the other movies. And it looks like, yeah, yeah there's, and then I, I found the box set itself and there's some kind of exclusive bonus disc that has a bunch of never before and before seen deleted and extended scenes and stuff like that. So huh, I'm surprised that wasn't a bigger deal when it came out. That seems like something we, we would have been all over, but this, this, um, Hiddleston thing reminded me of that. Cause like, I feel like I've seen a picture of Hiddleston, uh, dressed up as Thor during his audition, but I don't know if I've ever actually heard any of the audio from that. So, um, yeah, I was just curious about that. But uh, there we go, detective work on live on the air. So, <laughs> excellent. All right. Uh, well, yeah, I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of Slash Film Daily. You can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all of the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashhome.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick any area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM Sports account to get started. Then visit your promotion section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. You'll score a prize if you hit a single, double, triple, or home run. There's nothing more exciting than going yard. So swing for the fences with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on the market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.